Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. There are just those people that you meet who have a, a, a light inside of them, something that just shines out. One of those for me was Simon T. Bailey. Hello, this is Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm delighted to present to you a guest today. I think you may know about him or may know him as I do, but if not, this is going to be a wonderful introduction. Simon T. Bailey is a, a phenomenal motivational speaker, author of nine books, uh, direct one-on-one success coaching. He has more than 2,000 clients from 50 countries. Over the course of 30 years, Simon T. Bailey has imparted knowledge, wisdom, life experience to so many. And there is one word that I always associate with my friend Simon T. Bailey. You think of leadership, you think of John Maxwell, you think of basketball, you think of Michael Jordan. When you hear the word brilliance, I think of Simon T. Bailey. Simon, welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Thank you, Dr. Rutland. So good to be with you. You did kind of capture the word brilliance some years ago, didn't you? I, I, it, it really became kind of your trademark, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. And we continue to talk about it even to this day. You've had a fascinating career and here you are with all of this huge success, but it hadn't always been an easy road, has it? Not at all. Not at all. I remember hearing you talk about the fact that uh, that uh, after only a year at Morehouse, money ran out, your family was not able to continue, and and they they couldn't even let couldn't even ask you to come home. They just said college is over, and you were on your own. I know. I, I dropped out of Morehouse. Uh, moved into a drug-infested community, only had a mattress on the floor, bright green beanbag from the 70s. I was on public transportation, transferred my one-year credit to Georgia State University, and <laughs> it was a tough time. Got a, got a little job and, and tried to figure it out at best. Finally, finally graduated from college 10 years later. So, I mean, you, you hung in there. You, you saw it through. Yeah. It would have been easy. It seems to me it would have been easier. And a lot of people did when they hit a rough spot like that. They just cash in their chips. Yeah. So many people give up. A good friend of mine, Willie Jolly, says the setback is the setup for a comeback. Mm. So I think I've been trying to come back every since. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to ask you about something uh, you told me one time that that many years ago, when you were 14, 15 years of age, that you made an attempted suicide and, and struggled in high school, just failing class after class and, and suicidal. What what do you think was going on at that time? I mean, you're obviously your your native IQ has got to be phenomenal. You're your capacity for leadership and success has been huge. What what was happening right then? I think when I look back now, low self-worth, low self-esteem, uh, I was in an environment where I didn't see a lot of options going forward. And it caused me to really uh, be down on myself to say, you know what, I might not live to see my 17th birthday mm. uh, just in the environment that I was in. 
there may be people listening uh, with thousands that listen to the podcast, and there may be somebody listening who has a teenager that they're concerned about. Is there something that somebody could have said to you at 15 that would say, look, put the gun down and, and there's still hope. Is there something they could have said? Yes. First of all, I see you. I appreciate you and I value who you are. And if someone would have said that to me and my parents, they loved me. They absolutely loved me, but they did not necessarily articulate what I needed to hear at that point. And we've grown in our relationship, but we've come from a long way. But I think if there's someone listening to just say, I see you and I celebrate who you are, that would mean so much to them. And that would be a way of hugging them with your words. Mm. Oh, I love that. Hugging them with your words. After uh, failing so many classes, you transferred to another high school and graduated only a, two or three years later as the president of the class. I mean, that's a... That's an incredible turnaround. Was that just a different high school, just a different environment, or did something click? You know, it was the teacher, Miss Rita Lankett. May she forever rest in peace. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I even get chills just talking about it now because she spoke life into me and said, young man, I want you to give a speech. And it changed the course of my life. And what's so ironic about this conversation we're having tonight, I'm going to be sharing at our church with young people from 13 to 21, the skill of public speaking and why effective communication is so important and how it changed my life, all because the teacher helped me. You know, I hope teachers are hearing this. I, I also, my fifth grade teacher had a tremendous impact. I wrote a book about dreams, and it really was um, based on Mrs. Burkett and the capacity that she had to smile on, affirm something on my childhood dream. She made it seem reasonable and and important and doable. She she made to think that she said that's that's going to happen. I I just said in a class one day I wanted to write books when I grew up, and she seized on it. She made it sound like it. And now, 18 books later, I really credit my fifth grade teacher. Wow. Wow. Then you went on to uh, work for your, for Hyatt Hotels, started really at a minimum wage job at a day's end, went on to work for Hyatt, then to the Orlando Convention Visitors Bureau. Finally, where we met, you had just left as sales director for the Walt Disney Company at, at a huge position with them and then launched into your own leadership and improvement ministry and business. And, uh, and you, had, you finished up at Walt Disney. That, was, that must have been some pretty exciting days at Walt Disney. My seven years at Disney was truly transformational. Uh, it set the course of what I'm doing right now. And three things that I learned is, number one, if you're going to do it right, do it right the first time. Number two, hire for attitude, train for success. Training doesn't fix what management doesn't catch. And number three, always look for a way to plus up the experience. So I'll just tell you just a quick little story. In the movie Lion King, there's a scene where Rafiki holds up Simba and Simba sneezes. Now, the average moving-going audience would have never noticed the sneeze. And you have to remember, Lion King was pre-Pixar when it first came out. 
It took 100 animators to draw in the sneeze. And Michael Eisner was asked the question, why do you draw in the sneeze? He said, it's for the 1% that noticed we went the extra inch. That's what I took away from Disney. Always look for that extra step. Wow. That is that is so good. I, uh, as you know, I teach the National Institute of Christian Leadership, and I, I often refer to the things that some of the things you told me, and that I found out otherwise from the Disney philosophy. Whether you, whether everybody agrees with all their politics or their social uh, agenda or anything else, there's there is that phenomenal business philosophy and management leadership philosophy there, and I, I really love the one of. Plussing up the experience. As soon as you think you've got it good enough, do three more things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Simon, I want to uh, dive right into your new book, your ninth, um, as I understand it, and it is an intriguing one. So, uh, the title "Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life." So, I'm I'm going to say to you what I'm understanding, what I'm reading, and I've enjoyed what I've read. This is a book to men. It's not really a women's book. It's a book to men about women and how to um, how to unleash the power of women in their lives without feeling threatened. Is that is that the direction you're going in here? That's accurate. Spot on. That's a that's a provocative approach, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we're hearing, you know, it's. I mean, the book is deeper. That it's not just, hey, hold the hold the door open for your wife. I mean, this is this is really how do you make the women in your life more powerful, mm-hmm. not how do you become more powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is my belief that every man who is worth his salt is because of a great woman that stands beside him. Sometimes in front of him, pulling him forward, <laughs> never behind him. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned this the hard way uh, because I was so stuck in my ego, which we have often heard defined as edging God out or edging greatness out. And what I recognized is until I learned how to communicate and come from a place of emotional honesty, I wasn't really leading I was dictating, I was telling, but when I came alongside to really understand, wait a minute, I need to listen because she's going to help me become a better man. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you hear this phrase, I guess it goes back to time immemorial, the war between the sexes, and you you have the Thurber-esque cartoons about the battle between men and women and all that, but... But is that, a, is that a necessary thing? I mean, do we have to have that? Or is there a way that we can let men be men and women be women and still not have war? Is that, is that possible? It's totally possible if we are intentional about how we communicate and not be threatened by each other. If, if we just really kind of dial in and say, is there a better way? And, and my fear is that we have a population of young men growing up who don't know how to do that effectively. Here's what the research says. Right now, there are 3 million more women enrolled in colleges and universities than men. So men have got to realize, wait a minute, who are these women going to marry, right? Mm. And we can't be threatened by them. We've got to sit down at the table of opportunity and say, how do we make the world a better place together? When you, as I read through the book and I'm encountering some of the obvious Simon T. Bailey wisdom that I've known for years, 
One of the things you zero in on the most is, is how difficult it is for men to be open, honest, and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It seems like it goes all the way back to our childhood. I mean, somebody's always telling you from the time you start Little League that big boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. Now you're coming in and telling us we have to reverse that. And when you do, it doesn't make you less masculine. It makes you more human. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Ludwig, I, I had to break down. I, I went through a divorce after being married for 25 years. And when I went to see my therapist, Anita, first of all, no man wants to sit on a sofa with a therapist named Anita who's been practicing for 40 years and has more degrees than a thermostat. Mm-hmm. And she says to me, whatever you don't deal with will eventually deal with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just hit me right between the elbows. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And what I recognized, I had suppressed the need to show up and let you see me hurt or my pain. And I put a mask and a facade on. And, you know, when guys get together, it's all about the car and sports and everything's fine. Well, it's not fine because my home was experiencing death by a thousand cuts Mm -hmm. because I wasn't showing up. And, And when I really got honest, and begin to deal with my unfinished business, the issues with my mother. She said to me, you have some mama issues and you got to address it. And it, it just invited me to grow up, to really grow up and, and really understand what it meant to be a man. I remember in chapter eight, you, you make a strong statement. I, I underlined it. It says, every man needs a therapist. I thought, wow, that's a that's a pretty bold statement. Talk to, talk to us about that. Every man needs a therapist. I went to therapy kicking and screaming at the request of my divorce attorney. And it was the best thing for me because she helped me understand my blind spots and to really just talk and get things out on the table. And what I realized, I was just kind of bobbing and weaving and kind of getting through life. And therapy helped me from a mental, emotional, spiritual standpoint. The the name of her practice is The Healing House. What a name, right? Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) And I realized I could not show up in the world in business and and say anything to any C-suite, any organization, unless I dealt with myself. There was, there was no substance there. There was nothing there. And all of a sudden, I recognized when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. It also invited me to look at my character. How was I showing up in my character, right? It really challenged me. Every man needs therapy. Every man should go and sit on the sofa. I wish that people could listen to this right now. Uh, not just every man. I think I think people need now, whether that is a licensed therapist, whether that's a psychologist or whatever, but everybody needs somebody with whom they can process those deeper issues. Yeah. And I think that the fear of that paralyzes people, that they're just terrified that, that somebody might actually see who they really are and not who they've made everybody think they are. You know, I think going to therapy for everyone listening to us is saying yes to a better future and inviting you to say, if I'm in a psychologically safe environment, I can put my truth on the table in a non-judgmental environment and be okay with it. That's the thing. And then here's the thing. When I went to therapy, I then invited my children 
to go in for a few sessions mm. because I wanted to make sure the damage of the divorce, that it didn't impact them. I wanted them to sit with Anita and talk to them one-on-one. Mm. Simon, this begs a question, and I'm, I'm going to be the guy that rushes in and, and asks it. So mm-hmm. here it is. You're, you're writing about um, how to ignite the power of women in your life. You're now in a second marriage. And mm-hmm. so what if somebody's sitting on the couch and they're saying to themselves, why should I listen to a guy about marriage who's already been divorced and remarried? What do you say to that? Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this question. Here's the truth. I am flawed, perfectly imperfect, and I want you to learn from my mistakes and avoid avoid the failure that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. So this book is just a guide and a conversation, not to say this is what you should do. This is what I didn't do, and I ended in failure. You know, in the wow. dictionary, fail, failure comes before success. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. So, I decided to speak from a place of failure. I'm saying, Jody, my new wife, we we are figuring it out day by day. Mm. But you know what we do every single day? We cherish each other. We start with prayer. We start with a conversation. And those are the things I wish I would have done in my my previous marriage, right? So I I just come along and share failure. Can, Can you learn from it? Can I invite into that conversation? <laughs> Maybe that's why you want to listen. Wonderful. Brilliant book. Uh, it's called Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life. I hope that every person will get it. They can't tell them how they can get this book, Simon. They can go to Amazon. They can go to simontbailey.com. We also have the audio book, uh, which is whole experience in audible.com. So they can get it there. Do you, do you read the audio book, Simon? I went in the studio and did it myself. Yes, I wow. did. <laughs> I'm real, really, really impressed. I, I've had two or three, and I look at that daunting task, and, and I just say, you know, I think I'll let somebody else. Maybe you need to read my next book. I'm going to, we'll see. <laughs> I want to I want to go back to something you said in chapter four. You use an odd phrase. And here's what I I hate it when I'm being interviewed about my books. I hate it when people quote me to me. So (laughs) here it is. You talk about practicing caring science. I, I, I actually have never heard that phrase before. What do you mean when you talk about caring science and how do you practice it? So Dr. Jane Watson, a scholar, is a scholar at the University of Colorado for 40 years of her work and her research has been around caring science. Caring science is this ability to understand compassion, listening beyond the words, or what they call reading the field. So for instance, if you and I were face-to-face and you and I, you, you were talking, I would say, Dr. Rutland, here's what I heard you say. Is this what you meant? Hmm. By me asking you that question is me showing you that I am caring about the importance of what you just said. Hmm. That's caring science in a nutshell. It's it's understanding that the same letters that spell the word listen spell the word silent. So when I really honor you in the moment, I am listening with not just my ears, but with my eyes and my heart. That's caring science. Do you consider this a marriage book? It says the women in your life. Does that mean mm. does that mean your wife and your daughters or does that mean at work? What does it mean the women in your life? This book has three lanes. Number one, relationships. Number two, 
community, society, and number three, business. Because I believe before you can become better in business, you become better at home. Those are the three lanes that we are really positioning this work. I love it. Well, let's talk about marriage for just a minute, though. And uh, here is something you say. Again, I'm quoting you. I'm quoting Simon Bailey to Simon Bailey and make Simon Bailey remark on it. So here it is. You say in chapter 10, it's not gone. That excitement, that romantic love, it's not gone. It's just buried under life's burdens. Unpack that for us a little bit. So something has happened and the thrill, the spark is gone. So I invite you to go back to day one when you first connected. How did you woo each other? Go back to that. The second thing, what would it be like to understand in the words of Dr. Gary Chapman, their love language, begin to speak to them in the way that it connects with them. And then number three, in really finding that spark again, it's not about, in the words of Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, love desires to give at the expense of self. So how do you put yourself out there to build a bridge from where you are to where you need to go as a couple? Uh, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole's his words still ring in my head 30 years later. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get that spark again, do the work. You take one for the team and see what you discover. I uh, I ran across something you said in one of them. I just made a note of it in one of the chapters. I don't remember which one actually, but um, but I, I did make a note of it for myself because I thought it it kind of stung me a little bit. And you said it doesn't have to be a holiday to share your thoughts with anyone. And I I do think that a lot of times I Mark Rutland. I'm not talking about just some guy. I have often stored up processing for when we were away on a, on a vacation. And, uh, and I, I, that, that passage did kind of zing me a little bit, and I still feel pretty hard at you over it. Dr. Rutland, I've been guilty of the same thing. I have always thought I've got to do something big, holidays, vacation. But mm. wait a minute, there's 365 days a year. Caring and feeding and, and, and serving happens every day, not just the big day, right? And so I wrote that from a place of failure that, wait a minute, I think we could do this better. That's the challenge. Simon, I I really appreciate your transparency um, dealing with your with your first marriage, the challenges there. And your, your life hasn't always been that easy. You struggled through a defeated cancer that mm-hmm. uh, coming up from the kind of poverty that you did and, and struggles in school, a suicide attempt. Uh, and really, I, I appreciate the level of, of straightforward transparency. I, I didn't feel like you were bleeding on the reader. I just thought you were saying, look, let me tell you the truth about Simon T. Bailey. And I, it really, really was very moving. Thank you, sir. You know, I often say that without God, I am nothing. Without God, I would fail. Without God, I'd be like a ship without a sail. Mm. That's that's just my truth. Amen. It's an old hymn from the old church. A lot of people don't recognize hymns, but that one has just stuck. Yes, uh, Mylon Lefevre wrote it, as a matter of fact. So <laughs> wow. uh, I remember that hymn very, very well. Listen, uh, I want to bring this to a conclusion. I have a question I always ask uh, great leaders and great teachers, 
And uh, I want you to imagine that you're speaking to every leader, uh, man, woman, every politician, business person, religious leader of every kind, and you, you can speak to them all at one time, but you can only say one thing. What's the one thing that Simon T. Bailey, after all of the struggle and life and ins and outs of your life, what's the one thing you would say to every leader in the whole world all at the same time? The job of a leader is not just to motivate or inspire people. The job of a leader is to invite people on a journey to discover the leader within themselves while they're following you. So a leader can never take people to a place that he or she has not been themselves. Mm. What's your journey? Because that's what people are following. I'm with uh, Simon T. Bailey, author of nine books, and his latest is intriguing. Ignite the power of the women in your life. I urge you to get it. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to Simon T. Bailey. and uh, That's simontbailey.com, right, Simon? Yes, sir. simontbailey.com. I urge you to get this book. It is certainly a book for men about their relationships with women, but there would be every reason in the world that a woman ought to read this book too. Don't you think, Simon? Yes, for sure. I urge you to get it. I know it'll be a blessing to you. And Simon, I want to thank you for joining us again. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for being on The Leader's Notebook. Thank you. And thank you for joining today. Until we meet again, I'm Mark Rutland, and this is The Leader's Notebook. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.